This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And we're so excited to catch up with Harold Reynolds. He is down in Arlington, Texas. He is covering the World Series, and you can catch him on MLB Live before and after each game. They're happening every night. So exciting to actually have baseball. And let's talk about what's happening in the world of sports, starting with baseball. Before we get to Harold, I got to tell you, this World Series, obviously I wish my Braves were in it, but uh, one of the reasons they're not, is a guy you are all too familiar with, Michael Lynch, uh, yeah. Mookie. Uh, what yeah. what a storyline he has been. How about in game number one? Uh, that's you know, hit a home run, stealing a base, uh, stealing two bases, scoring yeah. a couple of runs, uh, and just made something happen all by himself. In on, on one particular uh, time, he was after his at bat. You know, the worst trade uh, the Red Sox have made since uh, Babe Ruth uh, was sold to the Yankees back in 1918, and uh, people here are still not getting over it, that Betts is in a Dodgers uniform, traded along with David Price uh, back in the early part of this winter. Mm, not, not happy. Not happy at all. What have you thought, Barr, of the World Series so far? Have you been watching? I did, but I was surprised about something, and that is Game 1 of the World Series. It was down in the ratings. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think only almost 9.2 million people watched. That's an 11 share, I believe, for Fox, uh, and that's down. <clears throat> and then the the one that was lowest rated before that was another one where the Rays were in the World Series and they were playing the Phillies. Uh, yeah. And but I'm surprised that it is down because uh, it's been exciting baseball so far. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, and again, I'm a little bit of a homer, as you guys know, for the Braves. The NLCS got really good ratings. I do think it in part depends on who's playing. I mean, Mm. truly. And, um, you know, I don't know if I I think the World Series might have been doomed a little bit with from a ratings perspectives with a very good. Don't get me wrong. Rays team. But. It is the Rays, Lynching. You know, I yes, mean, it is. sorry, like it's just not. There's there's not a compelling series of players. It's not a storied franchise. All apologies to the Rays fans who are listening, but I don't think people are making that appointment TV. No, and I think I might have mentioned this the other day on the show. There's a scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid where (laughs) Newman and Redford are being just chased for days and days, and they keep looking over the rocks and going, who are these guys? And who are these guys? And that's – but, you know, but if you watch them play, and I've watched them, but maybe the last five games, they're very likable. Yes. And they're a team you want to root for. But if you're just sampling and going in, you'd say, I never heard of this guy. You know, oh, the Dodgers, I know who all these guys are. Right. And I'm right. tuning out. I'm going to click the channel. But if you follow them, you embrace them. Well, and it may only get trickier uh, as the World Series finishes out because there's more and more competition for those sports eyeballs, including 
Michael Barr, back to your part of the country. The Big Ten uh, football coming back as of this weekend. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. We didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, President Trump takes credit for getting uh, Big Ten football back on the field. Yeah. We'll set that aside uh, for yeah. a second. But it is notable that we're going to see the Big Ten back in play. Welcome. It's Michigan against Ohio <laughs> State. <laughs> I am excited to see that. I am not going to lie. I didn't think there was any way in the world yeah. this was going to happen, uh, especially in the Big Ten. But here we are. Obviously, there's going to be some issues uh, with the crowd because uh, there's going to be uh, uh, caps on that. Uh, if there's going to be a crowd at all, which means it's going to be hard for vendors and all of the ancillary uh, restaurants and bars that are around stadiums like that. But at least we do have Big Ten football. Yeah, I wonder about the home field advantage as well, uh, Michael Barr. I mean, you come into the big house and it's intimidating. You come into the shoe down in Columbus and it's intimidating. And now if they're going to have like maybe 10,000 people and some cardboard cutouts, does that take away some of the home field advantage between some of the teams that might have a chance, now have a chance to maybe knock off Michigan or Ohio State? I think that's true. I mean, we're going to hear a little bit later on in the show from Harold Reynolds, who's going to be, you know, essentially reporting from, has been reporting yeah. from Arlington, Texas, where there are about that many, you know, 10, 11,000 fans. And they make a little bit of noise, but there's nothing like it. I mean, literally this time last year, my family and I went out. I had never been to a game uh, at Notre Dame. And, man, a stadium like that, when it gets rocking, oh, there is something special that's going on, and it does affect the play on the field. I don't care what anybody says, so we'll see. I mean, one of the cautionary tales, of course, for college football has been University of Alabama. They were able to get Coach Nick Saban back on the sideline, uh, which was good news for Crimson Tide fans. Uh, they dispatched with Georgia more easily than I think people thought and more easily than it looked like they were going to do in the first half. But one of the protégés, they know him only as Tua. Feels like uh, a big deal. It's a big deal to me because Fitzy went to Harvard. And uh, yeah. he, he's a Harvard Fitzpatrick, a Harvard quarterback. He led. They're only a, one game out of a playoff spot. In the last two games, Fitzpatrick uh, put 67 points on the board for the Miami Dolphins. And they're not struggling at all. They're actually playing great football. So personally, I'm bummed out and I don't like the decision. But I know that everyone else probably around the National Football League and people that have fantasy teams, Michael Barr, probably <laughs> think this is a great move. <laughs> no. You know why? Because I had Fitzmagic. And Fitzmagic was kicking butt. And he's yes. just rolling. And all of a sudden it's like, and Tua Tagovailoa is going to start. Oh, man. No. So that's it. My value in, in Fitzmagic, it's over. Uh, now, having said that, I get it. The Dolphins, they got a brand new toy. They got to see what he's going to do. And he wasn't bad in his first start. And, and I get the move. But, yeah, you're right, man. As a fantasy <laughs> sports player, I'm like, oh, no, man. <laughs> it's not this. And it is a reminder that, you know, these are human beings. I mean, Brian Fitzpatrick, I, I think the quote is he's heartbroken, uh, you know, yeah. over losing yeah. the starting job. And, um, you know, these are human beings at, at the end of the day. And it is, it's tough to see, especially someone who is performing well in his job, as you guys say. Uh, but as they also say, 
it ain't show friends, it's show business. So we'll see uh, whether this is the right move for the Dolphins. They need something. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> By the way, we, we got to bring it up right quick. Uh, OBJ uh, oh, handing out man. money. Four, he gave four. Uh, he's charged with giving two thousand dollars in cash to four LSU players on the field after the national championship game last January thirteenth. That's you know a pretty hard thing to do to walk around and where does where does the player put the money? Is he stuffing his pants? Is he putting right. his helmet? I mean, they don't have pockets, right? So how does he do it? Nobody's yeah. going to mess with Odell Beckham. I mean, I think it was caught on camera. I mean, he was doing yeah. it in front of everyone. This was not an illicit or. Uh, literally or figuratively under the table transaction. I mean, it just shows you some of the bad decision-making that that happens around uh, college football. And listen, I love college football, but it's – it's kind of a rotten system, I, I think it's yeah. fair to say, and uh, and certainly people taking advantage. So I think we, we haven't seen the last of that story, that's for sure. I can honestly say I never received an envelope after any game that I played. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> even at, even after that game-winning kick that we played a snippet from, nobody. Nothing. No? Nothing. No, nothing. Nothing. I got I, I got a I got a box box lunch and a seat on the bus home. That was a it. Slap on the butt on your way to the locker room. <laughs> Good job, Lynchy. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Up next on the show, we speak with Harold Reynolds, analyst for the MLB Network. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. And you can follow me, Jason Kelly, at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every week at this time. And catch our Apple podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Today, a very timely conversation because we've got the World Series going on right now, which is pretty darn exciting and maybe a little bit unexpected. So who better to catch up with than MLB Network's own Harold Reynolds. Harold joins us from Texas right there where it's all happening. How the heck are you? What's it like down there? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different, but actually, it, it's it's actually pretty cool. I love the Destination World Series. Yeah, I just think it's. I, I I don't know. I know it's a COVID year, and we've had to do a lot of things to even get to this point. But I do think uh, it's something that baseball might have to consider moving forward. I mean, to know where you're at, like we had two game sevens, right? And usually what happens, you have two game sevens, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I guess we're flying to L.A. tomorrow. You know, start the World Series in two days. And you can't plan and market the game. And this really, I think a destination World Series allows you to know a year in advance. You could have had, you know, a college fall classic going on, women's softball, youth baseball. You can do a lot of things to promote the sport. So I think it's something they got to consider. Something else this season has brought to the forefront. Maybe it is time to shorten the regular season. Uh, uh, Yes, 62 games. No, we can't do that in the regular season. But, I mean, it it puts more importance on a game if you do shorten the season and and people will watch. Well, you might be on to something. I I, I think the 60-game schedule, obviously you agree with this, it's a little bit short, but I can see uh, the urgency. It almost felt like college football every weekend meant something. But if you shorten it down to 
you know, 140 games, you knock out 22, you, you lose a lot of revenue. But I think the reason it might be on the table, it could be discussed, is by adding, you know, the extra teams in the wild card round right. uh, really picks up revenue, but also uh, it brings all the markets into place. You know, I played on a couple teams in Seattle when, you know, we lost 100 games. And by, by mid-June, we were done. Season was over. And so I, I think it keeps your fan base engaged uh, with the new opportunity to possibly get in. And I know a lot of people were proponents with, oh, well, what if a team's under 500 and they get in the playoffs? Every sport does it. So what? And the Astros <laughs> showed us that, you know, they got in and they made a run that almost got them to the World Series. And I wouldn't have had a problem with it at all. Harold, this is Mike Lynch up in Boston. Um, obviously, we have a little connection to uh, the Dodgers with uh, Dave Roberts, Joe Kelly, and Mookie Betts. But I, but I, but I want to ask you about the two. You've got two polar opposite franchises here. You've got the Dodgers, who, who have an unlimited payroll, pretty much. And then you've got the... Hey, hey, first of all, Mike, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the Dodgers, how you say it, is so cool, man. I can tell you're in Boston. <laughs> 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 The Dodgers. I love, I love the accent. I'm like, oh yeah, he's from Boston. No yep. doubt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta can't make him up. If you while. if you made Lynchy up, I, no I, one would believe you, Harold. President? I'm like, am I listening to President Kennedy? Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good one. Oh well, I'll, I'll thank you when I start my car up a little bit later on this afternoon. <laughs> We've got the Dodgers, you know, who uh, you know have unlimited funds, and we've got the Tampa Bay Rays. Is it good for baseball to have a team like Tampa Bay in the World Series? Well, it's always good when they're, when they're one of the best teams, you know. And, and there's yep. different ways to get here. Obviously, you look at the payroll and you go, you want guys to continue to have big pay and everything else. But then you look at the other side of it, and it gives hope to a lot of clubs that can get creative. Not everybody has or is going to have the payroll of the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers. Just That's not going to happen. And that's real in any sport. You know, you're going to have the big market teams are going to have more money. It's just that's the way it is, the revenue they drive. But it does give hope to clubs that uh, may not have the same revenue streams that can still get to a World Series. Now, I'm not for clubs that have the revenue streams and opportunities and still you know hold back possibility of putting more money into the clubs but there are a lot of markets that do not have the funding and speaking of funding i really think right now having come through this COVID season um we got a real wake-up call in in our sport i think that the revenue is going to be tough there's a lot of money lost this year um fans not coming to games uh it's a big hit so I, I think we're going to be in this cycle for a couple of years trying to figure it out. So I think for the sport overall, uh, Tampa being in the World Series gives us all a little hope to keep this sport alive because it, it's been a major financial hit with this whole COVID-19 scenario we're in. So play that out for us, Harold. I mean, what do you think are the short-term implications of that? Do you think we'll see some, you know, owners like – dump out of some of these teams? Do you think there are payroll implications or plans that are put on hold as we go forward? Because, and this is probably a longer conversation that we need to have later in the show, but, you know, you got the CBA, you know, coming up next year. I mean, 21 is going to be a majorly important year for baseball. 
Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how the players' union reacts to it all and if we're able to get on the same page. And this really is all of us in it together to get through it. Um, there was no minor league season this year, no college baseball. Just on the amateur side real quick, you know, if I'm going to have a draft coming up this season, we had five rounds in the draft this last year, and that means a 1,000 kids didn't get drafted. You know, so that's a backload. And the NC2A allowed all seniors to go back to college. I was talking to a couple friends of mine that are college coaches, and, you know, the cycle goes. You know, you're, not, you're going to have four or five seniors leave your college program, and you'll go recruit four or five freshmen. You tell those families, yes, he's going to have an opportunity to play. Well, all of a sudden this hits. Now you got the five seniors saying, hey, coach, I can come back another year. No, no, but they're coming back, you know, and here come the incoming freshmen, and that's just on the college level of a backload. Uh, I've got many friends who have kids, uh, young men and women, softball and baseball, that are looking to go to college that were high school seniors. They don't even know what's going to happen to them. So that's just the amateur backlog of just any kid going to college, not even a draftee. So now you go to the draft, and we got a major backlog. And then you go to a minor league season. I was talking with uh, Ed Howard, who was the Cubs' number one pick this year um, in the draft. And Ed is from Chicago. And last year he was in the PDP, one of the top high school juniors in the country the year before. And then this last June he was drafted by the Cubs. And so I was speaking with him the other day. He finally got to go to instructional league that's going on right now. And I said, Ed, when was the last time you played a game? And he goes, last August, not this past, the year before, 2019. August 2019. Wow. That's wow. a top prospect. So you think about the impact that's had just on our minor leagues. So how are we going to move guys forward? Uh, I mean, teams have make, taken a major hit, and players have. So – all that trickles down financially. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a big recovery, I think, in the sport. And amateur-wise, college, high school, and then into our minor leagues, and definitely major leagues. You look at this shortened COVID season, you know, you look at the Marlins, they lose 18 players to COVID-19, right? So Derek Jeter has to bring up guys from the taxi squad that, he was just hoping they'd get great work in. Now they're yeah. in the big leagues, but they hadn't played in a full year. Mm. It's just tough for development. So that's how I look at this whole thing. And that's not even the financial picture uh, looking around 30 clubs, right. how they're going to handle it. Right. All right. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with MLB Network's Harold Reynolds straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch in Boston, and you can find me at LynchyWCVB. <laughs> Harold's right. You do say Dodgers cool. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter <laughs> at Big Bar Sports. Download the show to hear even more of this interview, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's continue our conversation with Harold Reynolds. So, Harold, how has your sort of life routine calling the the season – analyzing the season how is how's your routine changed what's it been like for you uh it's changed quite a bit i think the uh the biggest change um is working from home yeah you know um 
right now I'm actually at the World Series in Texas, so I'm in a room by myself. But normally if we were doing this interview, you'd probably hear some kids yell, walk in and go, Dad, I'm in class right now. Stop. Right. <laughs> you know? so I think that's, that's changed your routine quite a bit. Um, but we finally got back in the studio, uh, and it allowed you to analyze and do tapes and really be hands-on. Uh, but um, it is different from a personal routine. Uh, from a baseball routine, you know, players aren't on the field as much. You don't have the interaction. You you don't get to go to the ballpark and sit down by the cage and ask somebody what they're working on. Even in the World Series, guys are making adjustments. You don't have that one-on-one. So that, I think, is a, is a big change. So I've spoken with guys on the phone. I've called them. Uh, even FaceTime, but it's not the same as being able to be in person. So those are some of the adjustments that you have to make. What do you think of some of the rules changes? And I think the biggest one is when you have a double header, uh, it goes seven innings instead of nine. And then there's also the rule if it goes into extra innings, you you start with a runner on second and this and that. Some of the old schoolers are like, what in the devil is this? But you know, other people are like, that's a great idea. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I was kind of in the vein of, you know, a runner at second in the 10th, come on, man, that's not baseball. But I really actually grew to like it. Um, I think with with baseball in 2020, where we have so much uh, swing and miss and guys aren't really trying to move runners or steal bases, it almost forced strategy in the game that hadn't been there for a few years. So I like that, you know, where you're sitting there going, are they going to move this guy over into 10th inning? You know, it's a lot like in football where – if the other team doesn't score, all I need is a field goal. Just put the ball in the right field position. And the same thing in the bottom of the tenth. They didn't score on the top of the tenth. We'll move the run to the third, and let's see what happens here. Let's get a run. So I like that part. I do like the DH in both leagues, although I love the strategy of the National League with the pitcher hitting. I think it forces a lot of different things. But um, the DH in both leagues has been good. And, and then the other uh, rule change, I think, that, has really been was the doubleheader you talked about. Everybody played seven inning doubleheaders when you're in high school or minor league ball or whatever. So I thought that was adaptable. But I, I don't think long term that one will stick. I think the others might. And one rule that I've been pushing that I hope really does start to uh, come into play is the uh, shift rule. You know, I never thought I would say, you know, you have to implement a shift rule that, that they can't overload a certain side because to me, in my generation, we'd have shot that ball the other way all day long and taken our base hit. Um, this is a different game. They want to hit the ball over the shift, and the offense has gone down because of it. And I think we've lost a lot of athleticism. You don't have that second baseman ranging and going up the middle and making that throwback to first anymore. He's standing in deep right field, and he's a third baseman. So I, I think we got to institute a shift rule to kind of put things back into balance and – uh, get a little more creative, but that's that's it. that's my take on some of the rules. So, Harold, following up on the designated hitter, do the Dodgers and the rest of the National <laughs> League like it enough to maybe just affect change or to try to have a voice to maybe just this be uniform in both leagues? Well, I don't know if they like it as much, but I do think that it's going to be hard after a year, and I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. Uh, we'll still have, I'm sure, some, some rules because we may not play the 162 in 2021 as we'll see if there's a vaccine or we're able to get through this this COVID. 
But if we're back in the same thing as, as, as we've done in 2020, it's going to be hard to all of a sudden, after two years, go, okay, uh, Walker Buehler, now pick up a bat. You haven't hit. You know, Clayton yeah. Kershaw. I think that's going to be forced just because of the times that we're in. It'd be hard to go back and hard-pressed to see the pitchers hitting again. What is the net effect of the limited number of fans, both on the game, but, but also we know – this is a huge source of revenue. You mentioned it earlier for baseball, and and so many people, you know, just speaking very plainly, like love going to games. I mean, it's it's part of it's it's part of what made baseball so great. How does it affect the game in in your estimation? You know, now having been in the stadium where they're playing with a limited number of fans. Well, it's undeniable um, the impact of fans. You might think you know you, fans don't really affect the game that much. They really do. Uh, the energy, being able to play off fans, uh, the interaction, and just being in the building here, even in Texas with 11,000 people, uh, they make a lot of noise. It just brings an, a, an energy and excitement to the game. And at the end of the day, you're playing for the fans. And as a baseball guy who loves to, even in the business, I still love to go to the games. I like to take my kids to games. I like to go to a baseball game, watching it on TV, even though they tried to pipe in crowd noise, it's just not the same. And plus I'm reliant on a director to tell me what I'm looking at. I want to go to the game and be able to, if I want to look at the right fielder and see if he's acting like he's taking practice swings in between every pitch and show my kids, see, he's thinking about at bat right there. You don't see that sitting in your living room on TV because they're showing the, the catcher and the pitcher. You know, so... Uh, there's something to be said about it. But at the end of the day, if we're going to continue to attract fans to the sport and keep it alive and vibrant and rich, you have to have fans in the stands. And that has been, I'm not even talking from a financial hit, just from a game effect and a visual effect and moving the game forward from kid to kid, generation to generation, you have to have fans back. I agree with you. I mean, I've I've got a couple teenagers who are not huge baseball fans. They play lacrosse, but listen, if I say, "Hey, we're going down to the Yankees game or wherever." I mean, they're totally in for that. We went to Dodger Stadium uh for the first time a couple summers ago and they're they're all in and I think it it you're right. Having that sort of visceral connection is really important. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with Harold Reynolds straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. My Babe Ruth team was the Dodgers when I was a teenager. And you can find me at Lynchy WCVB. Hey, I'm a Tigers fan. Uh, <laughs> I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And download the show to hear even more of this interview, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch. And Michael Barr, let's get right back to our conversation with Harold Reynolds. You know, Harold, you touched on this a bit earlier, the relationship between the players, the league, the owners, I guess among those three. Uh, It was fraught, to say the least, as we got into what ultimately became a successful season. What's the lasting effect in your estimation from a labor management perspective and and what happens over the next few months as we get into 2021 and and we have to figure out what happens next in this game? Well, I think we're at a crossroads in baseball. You know, I spent 12 years in the major leagues and 
four of those years were strikes, lockouts, fights. That shut the game down a couple times. And I understood then what it was for as a player. You know, we're fighting for rights and different things, and these players are living a lot of things we fought through in the 80s and 90s. But I think there's got to be a change with the relationship with ownership. Uh, Now that I've been kind of on the other side, in a sense, doing television, you have a different perspective, as you do when you get older and everything anyway. And I just see the other leagues. There seems to be a cohesive relationship with NBA, with NFL. You know, when, when the Lakers won the championship, the one thing that stood out to me was LeBron James is holding up the trophy, and they're in their bubble, and they were there for four months, and they're talking about it, and LeBron goes, we got to thank Adam. Uh, Adam, I got to thank you. You know, and he's talking about the commissioner of basketball because they really have a partnership. We've got to get our players union and Major League Baseball ownership in a partnership. And that's going to happen. Obviously, you fight over revenue. But I think we got to get to a partnership, especially coming through the hurt of the pandemic that we've been in. This is not like a labor dispute and the commissioner shuts down baseball in 94 and we recover with Cal Ripken. This is totally different. Uh, it's affected not only baseball players, but fans, families, the concession stand worker, the parking lot tenant, everybody. So I think there's a, a global effect with what we're going through. And the only way we're going to really heal this game and get it going forward is there has to be a change in the labor relationship that understands this is bigger than just owner players fighting over finances. I think about the kids today in baseball. Back in my mm-hmm. day, you know, it was easy. It's like, hey, we let's go get up a game, and then I'd pretend I'm Jim Rice. Yes, Lynchy, I said I'd pretend I was Jim Rice and and just crack <laughs> a bat and go and, and have a great old time. And, and now uh, – it seems like it that's waning, and not just in baseball, but that's a lot of sports, in football, wherever. What is it going to take to rejuvenate to get kids back into sports? Well, the challenge in my household, and I've got some really good athletes, um, is video games. i got a nine-year-old who knows, like, everybody in the NFL because he plays Madden all the time. And if I say, come on, man, let's go down to the park for an hour and let's just go throw the football around, ah, I'm good. That doesn't work, you know. And this is a kid who's in soccer, basketball, baseball, football. He plays every sport. And when he's there with his teammates and playing, he loves it. But to get him to go in the backyard, it's like pulling teeth. So I don't know how we get that. We've got to get kids back to allowing them to be creative. And I, and I will say this. The one thing that frustrates me with the coaching today is everybody thinks they're, they're Belichick and they're going to win a, a Super Bowl. You're not. They're 9. They're 10. They're 12. They're 14. Let the kids play. When we were growing up, guys, we made our own rules. We picked our own teammates, and we went and created games. And now it seems like parents think that or coaches think they have to call every pitch or – they're going to call every play, uh, run this or run that. And we got to do that ourselves. And we got to get that back to where the game is the kids and it's not parents or coaches. Let them be creative. Let them decide. And I think one of the reasons soccer has taken off so much in this country 
if you don't have time to say, use your left foot, your right foot, do this, you know? Yeah. Or in baseball, we're like, okay, get your elbow up, Johnny. Don't swing here. He's, you know, he's, take a pitch. Let them play. Stop, 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 and let kids control the game. It is their game. It's their time. And that's how we're going to get kids back in love with sports. You know, Trevor Bauer said the same thing, I think, when we were talking to him. Uh, he just said, you know, let, let the kids play and, and stop. Uh, if, if, it's, if it's not organized, they don't participate in it, and which is really, really too bad. Let me, ask, let me just change the, the, just the course here for one second. Are you living in a bubble in Arlington, Texas right now? It's a semi-bubble. We're not in like the players can't do anything in their bubble. Uh, our hotel is right next to the field. I can actually look at it right now, and it takes three minutes to walk over there. So we get tested every other day, do the nose swab. We also do the saliva test. So it's strict. But I'm in what they call Tier 3. I, I can't go near the players. I won't be down on the field or anything like that. But in the media area, we're all tested, and that's our little mini bubble. As you go down Tier 2 or Tier 3, you see the reporters on the field, Rosenthal, Verducci, J.P. Morosi, all those people. They had to quarantine for 14 days, be tested every day before they could go down and be amongst the players. So it's real strict to make sure that we keep this thing clean and we can get through it. Are you surprised that we made it to to the World Series, especially after that rough first weekend, Harold? I really am. They did a fantastic job. The players, Major League Baseball, Dan Halem and his group with the testing and everything that they did and the adjustments they made along the way, they did a tremendous job. And I'm telling you, from workers to everybody who's involved, when you start looking at the enormity of people that that have to comply, because one simple person can pass it, and as you saw with the Marlins, it can spread like wildfire. And so, to be at this point, I'm really, I'm really surprised, but I'm really proud of the effort that that the commissioner's office and the commissioner and everybody on down, particularly the players, to make it work. It's really amazing. I was thinking about what you were talking about, how COVID has affected the the revenue in the game, especially for the minor leagues. And I, I just wonder, will the minor leagues ever recover from this? This It was always fun to, to go to a minor league baseball game, and uh, that just got blown away. Uh, yeah, Major League Baseball is going to survive, but I just wonder if the minor league clubs, uh, what's going to happen to them? Well, they're going to come back, but it's going to take a couple of years of recovery. I mean, you look at, you know, those cities, the revenue that costs to test everybody and to make all this work uh, is really tough. I think we might see this year, you know, everybody has their spring training complexes and you have players able to train their A-ball, double-A, triple-A on up. We may see an abbreviated schedule. It's tough to have a triple-A team flying across the country and, and being able to make sure everybody's safe. So uh, it will come back. Uh, I think everybody understands that minor league baseball is really the fabric of it all. We all love going. It's just going to be very difficult to, to have these small communities um, be able to uh, be on rescue and recovery right away. It will happen. I'm just not sure when that might be. It could be 2021, but I, I think we're going to see uh, – an abbreviated schedule in 2021 as well. 
We're excited that we're able to watch some baseball, even from afar. And uh, lucky for you, you're a little bit closer than we are. Check out Harold Reynolds every game before and after on MLB tonight. Stay safe down there in Arlington. And uh, who knows, we could get another uh, seven-game series here. We had uh, two really nice ones. A sad one for me as a Braves fan on the NLCS side. But uh, really glad that we've got a World Series to watch, Harold. And thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I will soak it in as the fan in the stands for you guys, okay? <laughs> we appreciate it's it. It's a pretty cool experience being able to hear the players yelling and screaming and stuff. It's pretty cool, but I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, guys, Harold Reynolds, love uh, catching up with him. I mean, someone who was right there watching it all unfold in Arlington. Sounds like it's pretty strict. And at the same time, listen – we got baseball, and, and I loved what he said at the end. I think we're all surprised that we're sitting here uh, in late October and actually seeing an October Classic in some form or fashion, lynching. Yeah, and uh, I like what he said about the fans. He said, no matter what, he says, uh, we play for the fans, and the fans affect the game. They really do. They bring energy that the players feed off, and they bring excitement. Now, there's only 11,000 people allowed into the Globe Life Stadium down in Arlington, Texas, but it's better than having cardboard cutouts throughout uh, throughout the stadium. What'd you think, Parr? What's your takeaway? I think that some of those rule changes that happened this season are going to carry on and it's going to be part of the game. I especially think the doubleheader seven-inning rule is going to stick. I I really like that. I'll be interested to see what what baseball ends up doing. They need – they need i use this uh this word with some caution like they needed it they need to juice up the game a little bit in a legal way um they need to do something uh to to enliven it and you know i worry a bit about the underlying economics here because all of the fighting that happened before the season actually got underway it was really about money i mean there was a certain element that was about health and safety for sure but you know, this is a league that, as Harold said, Lynchy, the players, the owners, and the league, they are not on the same page. No. Well, the first word out of the Players Association's mouth on any negotiation is no, no matter what. If they said, we're going to give everyone a limousine, everyone is going to get free ice cream after every game, they'd say no. <laughs> and then they said, okay, <laughs> where do we go from here? But yeah. I'd like this idea that they need a better labor relationship. I don't want to say it's pipe dreams, but I think that this is a very unyielding, unmovable association and always has been uh, since Marvin Miller uh, you know, just turned things around. I wonder, ultimately, and this is a conversation for probably an entire show at some point, like, what is it that Adam Silver was able to do? And, and maybe there are some structural things and some historical things. And obviously, he picked up where David Stern left off. But, you know, I thought that Harold's comment was notable that, you know, you have one of the best players in the game, arguably the best player in the game, winning the championship in the NBA and turning to the commissioner and being like, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that, that I'm, yeah. I'm not sure uh, there are going to be a lot of uh, tipping of the cap to uh, Rob Manfred at the end of this World Series. No, it's one word, trust. Trust, yeah. I think, is the yeah. word. And I think they, uh, they have it with Silver. They don't have it with the other commissioners. That, they probably have it in hockey. Hockey's done pretty well. Yeah. But yeah. football and baseball does, hasn't happened yet. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. 
You know what it's time for, gentlemen. Here oh, boy, here we go. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, buddy. Time for the number of the week. Okay, gang, uh, at home, huddle around because you're going to play along too. Here's the question. Wayne Gretzky, you guys know him. Heard of uh, him. He, yeah, he is uh, looking to sell his Southern California estate. Uh, now, we're going to do the same, uh, give me the closest number of what he's looking for, uh, the uh, estate that's on the market. Oh, what was uh, LeBron's, like $35 million? Yeah, uh, it, was in the, it, it had a three-handle. So what's he looking to sell it for? This is what he's looking to net. Oh, okay. Hmm, he won him a 99. He's not going to get 99 million. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go with less than LeBron. <laughs> I'll say 20. Nice round number. Hmm. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to box you in here. Um, I'm going to go a little bit above. I'm going to go 20. What's halfway between 20 and 20? Uh, 22. I'm going to go 22. 21, 22. I'll go 22. <laughs> oh, my God. Lynchy. <laughs> 22.9 million man I'm coming to dislike Mike Lynch when it comes to the number of the week oh man Mike has already won seven cars in this game oh my goodness Uh, let me give you the the story here Thousand Oaks California Wayne Gretzky and his wife Janet they are putting their uh, estate on the market for $22.9 million. Good for him. Really pretty nice house. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, it's uh, 6.5 acres, uh, and it's sitting above the Sherwood Country Club. Oh. So, so we, we can put we'll our coins together. Yeah. It's a good time for real estate. You're really, uh, you're really into the uh, celebrity real estate. I like, the, I like these numbers of the week that are, you yeah. know, about fancy houses that athletes live in. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice bit bar. Swimming pools, yeah, yeah. movie stars. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Some nice homes in uh, the greater Los Angeles area, that's for sure. All right, yeah. you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcasts. Get those; they drop Monday. Wednesday and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio, around the world.